You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia from via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm broadcasting from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, and I'm grateful to be actually in the studio broadcasting live to our listeners across Australia and uh, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Just a few little things before we get stuck into the program, just to remind you that this is a a, a station appeal month for station 3CR in Melbourne and uh, we're asking people to assist us to keep broadcasting 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, 366 days during a leap year. Uh, in order to uh, in order to keep broadcasting, we haven't been able to hold our yearly radio fund, which we usually held in June to raise money. So we do need uh, your cash, that's right, or your credit card details in order to keep broadcasting for another 40 years. Now there is a flip side to this, there's a really good flip side to this. If you are still working, you can obtain a legal legitimate tax deduction. If you donate by the 30th of June this year, a legal legitimate tax deduction um, for donating to Community Radio 3CR. So I encourage you to donate. You can donate in many ways. You can go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. You can actually uh, ring 039419 And if you've got a credit card, they'll be able to take your details. And if you're like me, you're sick of all this uh, new technology, you can always send a cheque or money order to... Uh, 3CR, Post Office Box 1277, Collingwood 3066. Don't forget this program is podcast and you can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, a few little community announcements, well, a few little local announcements, mainly for people in Victoria, but if you, (laughs) by some chance, when I come down here to Melbourne, well, you can take bar. Look, uh, look, I'd just like to put people in the loop. I've had a lot of calls and SMSs and emails regarding what's happening. Well, not much is happening uh, apart from our Facebook pages, web pages, uh, YouTube presentations. Uh, we currently, uh, for concern of our own um, supporters and concern of the wider community, especially with the uh, 
spike in COVID-19 cases in Victoria or basically Melbourne, uh, we've decided that uh, we will wait. So the Wednesday Action Group uh, has uh, suspended all activities till the end of the year. Most of the members of the Wednesday Action Group are elderly. Many are sick and a number have died over the last few years. Uh, they've been active for 21 years around the streets of Melbourne, so... Uh, whether they we are able to resuscitate the group uh, next year or not, we don't know. But at this stage, it seems pointless going out in, in, onto empty streets. As far as the public housing, everybody's business campaign, the vigils on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, we've decided to put it back another month to August until the current spike in COVID-19 cases uh, decreases. There's really no point in putting our uh, members and supporters and the community at risk. Um, we all know the importance of public housing, especially the government, and uh, I may talk about that later in the program. Now, I do have some good news. The West Parkwind Rent Collective is still alive and well. Um, we still need, obviously, money to pay the rent for the West Parkwind activists in Australia, and the Rent Collective is, uh, uh, is the organisation that actually raises the rent we are short of uh, at least 15 members. Uh, we're still uh, struggling to get enough members to join the West Parkland Rent Collective. Now, COVID-19 or COVID-19 COVID or not, there are specific issues in West Papua regarding the independence movement, the Indonesian brutal crackdown that's occurring in West Papua as we speak. So if you want to join the Rent Collective, I encourage you to give me a call on 0439 395 489. It's a dollar a day. Uh, and uh, now obviously no tax deduction, but it's a dollar a day and you'll keep the West Parkland office going, which is still functioning and uh, people are still using the West Parkland office to promote and extend the West Parkland independence struggle. Now, this is an important issue. Remember, West Parkland is less than 70 kilometres from the Australian coastline and uh, the office has been going now for five years. It's about to enter its sixth year. It has been a fundamentally important piece of equipment in terms of the West, the international West Papua independence struggle and we'd like to continue, for it to continue. Now, I have been uh, told by the West Papua uh, people at the office they will be holding a special day on the 13th of September and hopefully they'll be able to be face-to-face -face contact as well as... Uh, Zoom contact. So uh, we'll see what pans out and I'll uh, keep you informed about what's happening. And obviously they've also got a uh, connection to the Congo and you'll, we'll work out. I'll tell you why later on, but uh, it's quite interesting. I received the information in the last 24 hours, so I think it's a great way. Uh, but I'll explain more about that next year. But currently we need do need support for the West Parkland Red Collective. Look, uh, my name's Joseph Toscano. I'd also like to thank uh, Anthony our web designer for the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest webpage. Uh, Anthony's done a terrific job over the last uh, few weeks getting the, uh, uh, getting the uh, webpage back up again. And uh, I encourage you to have a look at his um, contributions in the monthly perspective on the uh, webpage, pipsy.net, pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. And... Uh, and uh, his monthly, the monthly perspective, go to June, go to uh, information uh, when you get onto the site. And also I'd like to thank all those people who continue to send in um, completed membership forms to become members of public interest before corporate interest. We're slowly, very slowly grinding towards the magic 550 number. 
So if you want to make a real difference in, in the world, I mean, uh, I'll tell you a little story. I mean, uh, when Che Guevara uh, disembarked, inverted commas, from the uh, ill-fated attempt to uh, invade Cuba, about uh, 80% of the people on the sh- ship or the boat were actually killed before they actually uh, even uh, got within 100 metres on, onto the land. And he was faced with the dilemma of picking up a gun or picking up his medical bag because he was actually the doctor for the, uh, for the, uh, for the, for the guerrillas. And in an instant, he picked up the gun because he realised that as a doctor, he could make a difference for a small number of people. But if there was major change, he could make a difference for millions, if not hundreds of millions of people. And it's the same when you look at parliamentary politics. I mean, in Australia, we live in a parliamentary democracy. Uh, the, the parliamentary system has been captured by a small group of people who basically use it uh, for their own uh, purposes and we've seen that powerful forces in this country basically have used uh, parliament, federal parliament and state parliaments as basically puppet theatres where they pull the uh, strings of their uh, puppets to ensure that legislation is passed to always uh, benefit them. So, you know, you can work in an extra parliamentary fashion and you can work... Uh, in the system and public interest before corporate interest was designed to actually bring a new voice to that parliamentary action we need 550 members to register as a political party whether we make a difference or not who knows but at least we are making the effort so if you want to join go to pipsy.net download the application form haven't got access to a computer don't worry you can always write to me at post office box 20 Parkville 3052 and I'll send you out an application form or you can um, you can always ring on 0439 395 489 and one last thing I know we're taking up a lot of time but I think it's important that we uh, keep our supporters uh, informed about what's going on as far as the uh, dinners are concerned and the lunches are concerned uh, once the situation improves in Victoria and our restaurants are allowed to have 50 people uh, in at the one time, we will uh, reopen the lunches anyway. But uh, again, we're just waiting to put a lid on the current spike in COVID-19 cases, uh, especially in Melbourne. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano, and I'm hosting today's program. Now, the big news... Today, it's not just COVID-19 spike in, Victor- in Melbourne, but the big news has been about uh, Mr Dyson Hayden, a former High Court judge. And it's interesting to see how a lot of people seem not to be joining the dots. Now, Mr Hay- Hayden was uh, appointed by uh, John Howard to the High Court, because let's, let's not forget, every appointment to the High Court is a political appointment. The Prime Minister of the day is the prerogative to appoint who he or she likes to the High Court. And it's a little bit of a game to try to ensure that people with your own political viewpoints uh, appear in the High Court. Now, we all know Mr Hayden's... Uh, track record, especially during the Anti-Trade Union Royal Commission, which was called by uh, John, I think it was John Howard, yeah, 
or was it Abbott? I've forgotten who. I think it was Abbott. And uh, how that was used basically to destroy Mr. Shortened and uh, in many regards destroy the uh, Labor Party's ability to conduct a, a good campaign during the last election. But that's not the issue. There's eerily familiar signs in the Haywood scandal. Everybody knew about it. Remember about religious childhood sexual abuse. Those of you who are old enough, remember the jokes that used to go around the school grounds and among adults about choir boys and priests. Everybody knew as a community we were well aware of what was going on. And the same thing has occurred in this situation. Mr Hayden had a reputation, had a reputation. And generation after generation of young female associates and uh, people in the legal fraternity were always advised to watch out. What this demonstrates is what we as anarchists have been against since time immemorial, hierarchy. What it demonstrates is that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And whether it's medicine, whether it's law, whether it's religious institutions, whether it's politics, what gives people the ability to destroy other people's lives and enrich themselves at the expense of other people, whether it's financially or through sexual gratification or through, you know, pushing their own barrow, is the ability not to be scrutinised. Now, everybody in the legal fraternity, including judges, associates, high court judges, they knew. It was common knowledge about Dyson Hayden's behaviour as far as young women was concerned. Common knowledge. But in a hierarchical institution where you join at the bottom of the pecking order, in order for you to be successful, you need to not complain. And I learnt this a long, long, long time ago in 1976 when as an intern at the Royal Brisbane Hospital in Queensland I made a number of complaints regarding the behaviour. Me and another doctor made a number of complaints about the behaviour of senior surgeons in that hospital. And not only were we ostracised, we were banned from ever being employed by the state government in that state, by the Bielke-Peterson regime. And this is the same situation in many regards. It's about inequalities of power. It's about hierarchy. It's about not having institutional structures where people who have n- don't have power, whose very existence and very career p- and, and career prospects rely on them 
not opening their mouths and taking that abuse, whether it's a verbal abuse, whether it's sexual abuse, whether it's financial abuse, and the list goes on and on. So these things highlight to me how important anarchism is because anarchism is defined very simply. It's about creating a society without rulers, not without leaders, without rulers. Rulers have power, able to exercise power for billions of people, as we see in the case of uh, you know the Chinese leader and the American leader, the Brazilian leader, and the list goes on and on, and uh, many of the CEOs and major, major corporations on the planet. They are able to exercise power because of inequalities in power and wealth. And the anarchist struggle, as I keep saying over the decades, is a struggle to break down hierarchy, share power, hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. So this is not an unusual situation in our society or anywhere in the world where we see hierarchy as the very enemy of freedom and autonomy and self-management and the ability to create a new society, whether it's in law, whether it's in medicine, whether it's in a religious institution, whether it's political institutions, whether it's in a corporation, ultimately, in a hierarchical society, your future is totally dependent on you shutting your mouth. And that's why I find it incredible to see the High Court Chief Justice come out as if to say, we never knew about this. Most people in the legal fraternity knew what was going on because of fear in terms of their careers, this type of behaviour by a senior judicial figure who has the highest honour that can be bestowed on a human being in Australia, this type of behaviour continued. As we saw with religious leaders and religious uh, people across the nation over decades as far as childhood sexual abuse is concerned. So the problem is power, inequalities in power, which are reinforced through hierarchical structures. So think about it. Think about it in a wider framework, a wider context than where it's been currently reported. We all knew about childhood sexual abuse. We knew for decades as a community. Remember all those little jokes you'd have in the corner of the playground about the choir boys? The legal fraternity knows who the predators are in their ranks and the medical fraternity and the political fraternity and it goes on and on. So it's about inequalities in power and wealth. So if you want to... You can't stamp out this behaviour, but if you want to stop it at the very beginning and not let it fester as the Roman Catholic Church did as it moved pedophile priests from 
congregate from um, church to church, congregation to congregation. And if you want to stop a whole series of people being abused by people in positions of power, then we need to be able to be involved in struggles that break down hierarchy. Now, none of us are perfect. We've all got a club foot. We're all human beings. We all have multiple weaknesses. And this is when I say to people, people say that anarchists are unrealistic, that we rely on the goodness of human nature. We do not rely on the goodness of human nature. We know every individual, as we've seen historically and as we see in our own lives, is capable of some of the most extreme, violent, revolting actions. It is part of our makeup. What stops this type of activity from being repeated ad nauseum over decades is the ability to expose it at its very beginning. And that involves breaking down hierarchy, redistributing power. That's what it involves. Because the key is not about the individuals doing the wrong thing, which we're all capable of and which we've all done, I'm sure, if we look at our own lives. There are many instances where we would have, would have liked to act differently but didn't act in the right way for a variety of reasons. But the problem arises when these individual failings are incorporated into institutional structures which allow these failings to be repeated ad nauseam. That's right, ad nauseam. And that's the central issue as far as the Hayden issue is concerned, as far as the It's Me movement is concerned, as far as, you know, Black Lives Matter movement is concerned, and the list goes on and on. It's inequalities in power and wealth, which is the very heart of many of the problems that we face as communities, because we are all individually touched by original sin. I hate, hate to use a biblical analogy. We are all fallible. We are all human. But when institutional structures are created which allow that fallibility and our very humanity to be repeated over and over and over again and protected over decades, then we have a situation, as we've seen, with the uh, religious, many religious orders in this country, as we've seen in many uh, corporations in this country, as we see in many workplaces, as we see uh, in the legal fraternity and the medical fraternity. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. Look, a few things you can access. I said at the beginning of the program, there's not much physically we're doing currently, especially now with this little spike in COVID-19 cases in uh, Melbourne town. But there are things you can do via the virtual world if you wish. You can go to my YouTube presentations, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. You can go to the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest uh, webpage, pipsy.net, run by our web designer, Anthony, and have a look at that. You can download the application form and join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. You can podcast this program. The program is... Uh, 
sorry, you can access the podcast, not podcast, access the podcast. Go to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. You can go to my Facebook pages, Joseph Toscana or Toscana for the Public, and the list goes on and on. Public Housing, Everybody's Business Facebook page, um, Defend and Extend Public Housing. So there's many things you can do on the net. It's not as satisfying. I find the virtual garbage, you know, I find it interesting, but I don't think it really changes much. Uh, and unfortunately for the COVID-19 crisis and the fact that we have to look after each other, not just the people we know, not just our family and friends, but we have to be part of a community response in order to contain the problems which can be raised by a... Uh, second wave of COVID-19, you know, we, um, we're limited to some degree. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. I was a little bit uh, perplexed. Perplexed. You like that? Perplexed. Uh, I'm, I usually get... I can't believe the research that's done. Now, there was some groundbreaking research that was done. And I've got to, I've got to, you know, got to learn how to suck eggs, I think. And it said that younger and lower paid workers are those less likely to be able to overcome the economic concerns which have been raised by COVID-19. Of course they can't. It's like saying people who have living from day to day on a social security benefit are more prone to illnesses because they can't access the food, the good food, the exercise, and the list goes on and on. I mean, this is basic stuff. We don't need to spend millions of dollars researching this. It is very simple. Poverty equals bad health comes. Low wages equals inability to withstand economic shocks. Unemployment, loss of eight-week wages in our society, means you go from being the king of the hoop to being destitute. It's very simple because most of us are saddled with debt. And if we're not saddled with debt, we don't actually have reserves of cash or stocks and shares to buy and sell. So let's stop talking about the obvious and doing something about the obvious. I'll give you an example. Now, I understand that Woolworths is mechanising its distribution centres, and we've known about this for a number of years. We had three distribution workers um, from a centre here in um, Melbourne who knew they were going to be uh, mechanised out of existence, who received the Eureka Australia Medal to years ago at in Ballarat because of their resistance to that to that program. Now, obviously, 700 workers are going to be laid off at distribution centres around Australia, and uh, it doesn't really matter, does it? I'll tell you why. Because, see, Woolworths shareholders, because it's a publicly listed company, don't care what happens to the workers in its ranks, whether they're shortchanged by 300 $90 million, whether they're retrenched because of mechanisation, 
it doesn't really matter to their shareholders. And a lot of you are inadvertent shareholders through your superannuation funds. It doesn't matter as long as you get a dividend or your share prices keep increasing. It doesn't really matter. That's the type of society we're in. Look, I don't blame Woolworths for mechanising its uh, distribution centres and for setting up, uh, as Coles has done, other major supermarkets have done, setting up self-checkout mechanisms so people don't have to actually go through a worker at a checkout because they've only got one mission statement. Business, corporations, small business, large business, corporations and a capitalist society, a society based on private investment for private profit is based on one only concept. Now, just to maximise profits irrespective of the human, social, environmental costs. It's about maximising profits for their investors. And if they're privately owned for the family or the small group that owns that business, it's about maximising profits. And if that means mechanisation, well, so be it. That is the nature of capitalism. It is the nature of corporate capitalism. That does not mean that we as a people and governments cannot address that issue that mechanisation will create where we have a surplus labour force, which in plain English means is we do not need everybody in society to be in the wage system or being paid employment in order to make a profit. So what do you do? That's where the concept of a universal basic income comes in. That's what a universal basic income is about. It's not about just providing a safety net in times of crisis like the COVID-19 economic crisis. But it's a mechanism of ensuring that we break the nexus between being a wage earner and existence in a capitalist society. And a universal basic income is there to ensure that every individual in that country, in that nation state that has a universal basic income, is able to live a reasonable life. A life free of the concerns of poverty. A life free of the concerns that face the 33% of Australians who rely on Social Security benefits to survive and government regulation to make him jump through hoops. That's what it's about. That's what a universal basic income is about. Unfortunately, how do you finance a universal basic income? That is the key question. I mean, societies that have had universal basic incomes, like the the Roman society 2,000 years ago, had a universal basic income for plebeians, they did it through slavery. So we're not talking about the reintroduction of slavery. But what we are talking about is a change in the taxation system in order to ensure that we can fund a universal basic income for every Australian resident and citizen. And you can do that in a number of ways. 
And all it takes, it doesn't take blood in the streets or a revolution or the reintroduction of the guillotine for the ruling classes. All it takes is simple legislation through both houses of federal parliament. One way of raising anywhere between 50 to $60 billion a year is by introducing a 1% stock market turnover tax. Because of the full computerisation of stock markets around the world, it would be very easy. Every time a share or stock is bought or sold, 1% flows directly to the Treasury. Another way of raising money is by introducing a 1% finance tax. That's right, we've got a GST tax, a good and services tax, and most businesses reclaim that tax as a business expense at the end of the year. But how about a 1% financial transaction tax? Every time money is moved... 1% 1% goes directly to the Treasury. You could raise between 250 to $300 billion per year. That's more than enough to cover a universal basic income. And if you really want to spread the uh, butter or the margarine or the Vegemite or the honey on the bread, why don't we talk about something that nobody wants to talk about? Why don't we talk about nationalising this country's mining resources? Hmm? I've just said the unspeakable thing. Now, you may have noticed in the last few months that many of the large mining corporations in this country are doing soft ads on radio and television and uh, the net soft ads about how wonderful they are and what wonderful corporate citizens they are. Occasionally, they you know they let the cat out of the bag when they uh, blow up uh, one of the world's oldest continuous inhabited caves, you know, for a few thousand bucks of iron ore. But that's a different story, and it's a public relations disaster for Rio Tinto. But occasionally, the cat comes out of the bag, but. We've got these wonderful advertisements of how gold is used in cancer treatment and how this does that and what wonderful corporate citizens they are and how the billionaires in these mining corporations give away their money to help us all, us little people, you know? The deserving poor, not the undeserving poor. So let's look at minerals. Minerals account for about 40% of our export revenue and employ about 2% of the population. Agriculture, I think, accounts for about 15% of export revenue and again employs about 2% of the population. At least with agriculture, people are actually putting a bit of effort into growing things and creating things out of nothing. But as far as mining resources are concerned, whether it's gold, whether it's iron ore, whether it's zinc, whether it's rare metals, whether it's bauxite, whether it's coal, and the list goes on and on, whether it's uranium, the list goes on and on. We are an exceptionally resource-rich country with 25 million people living on a continent. 
But we continue to have many third world problems in this country. When one third of the population relies on social security benefits to survive and has no cash reserves, when the gig economy, which is the new slave economy, which I'll talk about later on in the program, actually employs about a million Australians, when we see the problems of people accessing health care, and we've seen the problems with the COVID-19 response where, surprise, surprise, although some of the large capital cities have huge immigrant populations, English is not their first language, we actually actually haven't seen much of an input into migrant communities to educate them about COVID-19 and why things, you know, why social distancing and other facets of the way to beat this or contain this uh, virus are important. Well, the fact is that there's some very, very seriously rich people and shareholders in this country who've made their wealth from our mining resources. And I use the word our, you know, understanding that this country's First Nations people are the real owners of the mining resources. But under our current legislation... Anything, I think less than about a foot when you buy freehold title underground is not yours, it belongs to the Crown. So what we see is the Crown, which is basically the government of the day, giving away the rights to mine resources which collectively belong to First Nations people and the rest of us away. That right, give it away for a, a peppercorn royalty or maybe a little bit of taxation revenue while these cash cows continue to prosper at the expense of the Australian people. Now, we could resolve many of the issues plaguing Indigenous communities and many of the issues which plague the rest of the community, if we were able to own, control these resources. We could all even, even use that ownership and control to assist us in grappling with the issues of climate change and coal production and fossil fuels and the list goes on and on. But we, unlike many countries in the world, continue to give carte blanche to multinational corporations, irrespective of whether they're Australian-owned or not, to exploit these minerals, hoping that occasionally they'll brush a few coins off the corporate table in our direction, away from their shareholders' direction. It's extraordinary. Just extraordinary. It's a little bit like you're living in poverty but in the backyard you know there's all this gold and if you mine this gold you wouldn't be living in poverty but you allow your neighbour who's living in a you know 20-storey luxury mansion with a butler or five or six butlers obviously if you've got 20 storeys you'll need five or six butlers easily as well as a lift 
to mine that gold on your behalf. Just an extraordinary situation. Even Nigeria, a corrupt country, corrupt to the hilt, 50% of revenue made by the oil corporations and other mining corporations actually goes to the government of the day. Now, obviously, a lot of that money disappears before it reaches the people, but that's in place. And look at the uh, situation in Norway, where I think about 90% of the profits go into their uh, sovereign fund or their wealth fund or their future fund, whatever they call it. Extraordinary situation. But we give people the right to take what is ours and what belongs to First Nations people and use it to enrich themselves and hopefully at the end of the day we get a bit of a few crumbs brushed off the corporate table in our direction and when they fall on the ground we fight amongst ourselves to get hold of those crumbs. Extraordinary. Who do they think they are? Well, maybe they think we're fools. Maybe we are fools. And... I find it interesting, as I said before at the beginning of this little segment, that um, they're beginning to advertise because I think they're beginning to understand that Australians are getting a little bit angry, a little bit pissed off the fact that uh, they're paying huge prices for gas while they're not paying any tax at all and exporting gas for a fraction to the rest of the country. And they get a bit pissed off when they see all these uh, mining billionaires, you know, strut their stuff, talk about you know, lowering wages and mechanising and the list goes on and on and reducing wages and getting rid of conditions because things are so tough for them when they're making record profits. So maybe this is the new battleground. Well, this should be the new battleground. The fact that our resources should be used for our benefit, not the benefit of uh, transnational corporations. It doesn't really matter if they're own owned by Australian shareholders or not, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who's got your foot, who's got their foot on your neck. The fact that their foot is on your neck or their knee is on your neck is the issue. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. You. Now I'm uh, look. I don't know. Education reformer. Oh, you you have to laugh sometimes. You have to laugh. I, I really have to laugh. I mean, I can't believe it. Look, look. I benefited from three university education. There's no way my family would have been able to afford university education for me. I was the first person in my family you know, extended family to actually go to a university, all right? And to a large degree, it was courtesy of the election of the Whitlam Labor government in 72. I mean, I was able to get a scholarship in 7071 and then education was three and I got my Bachelor of Medicine, Bachelor of Surgery, and then eventually I got a Doctorate of Medicine from Melbourne University in 1996. Didn't cost me a cent. Didn't cost me a cent. And I find it extraordinary the very people, the very people who benefited from a free tertiary education system are now the very people that are actually trying to destroy 
the education system, but more importantly, the very people that are sending out tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands of university graduates with a ball and chain on their ankle called a hex debt. I mean, if we're supposed to be the, you know, the uh, clever country, the educated country, and we're supposed to add value to products and we need people to be educated, then isn't it enough to actually give people free access? We've noticed that uh, with the uh, TAFE system, they've been forced to give free access because people just couldn't afford to do it or they didn't want to do it and end up for ball and chain. I mean, there's nothing worse than when you're a young person to actually start your career or your working career or your working life with a ball and chain round your neck. I should say, sorry, round your ankle. So these latest so-called reforms to the tertiary education sector are laughable. They're laughable because they expect us to swallow the garbage. They're going to double the cost of humanities fees, decrease the cost of some science degrees and you know teaching degrees and nursing degrees, and at the same time decrease the number of people that actually will be going to tertiary institutions. And all this has occurred because foreign students, which make up about 25% of the university population around this country and 40% on some campuses, can't come here and give us their cash in order to be educated. Now, as I said before, if we actually owned our mining resources, we could offer free education to people tomorrow. Very simple. See, this isn't Bangladesh or Niger or Mali. We're a resource-rich country for a very small population, 25 million people. We are resource-rich. We should be the most well-off society on planet Earth, if not the galaxy. We should be. But we're not. And we continue continue to be plagued by problems like homelessness and problems like access to homes, access to a roof over people's heads. And nothing has highlighted this more than the COVID-19 crisis and nothing will highlight this more than what will happen when the uh, cliff occurs in September, the economic cliff, when JobSeeker will be uh, wound back to its you know, starvation wages and job keeper will disappear for most of the population and businesses which have been kept afloat for government money will collapse. They call them zombie businesses. Will collapse. But nothing, nothing like this should happen. We should have a universal basic income. We should have a free tertiary education sector. We should have an extensive public uh, public housing sector where every Australian can be housed for 25% of their income if they wish to be housed in public housing. Anybody who can't afford to enter the private housing market should be able to access public housing, not in 22 years' time, as we see for the Victorian waiting list, or two years' time if you're in, in a dire emergency situation, although with COVID-19, we noticed our homeless people were able to be housed in hotels overnight 
where there's a will, there's a way. I mean, we shouldn't be facing any of these problems. We are a resource-rich, educated country with 25 million people living on a continent and we seem to have many problems which should not be an issue. And as I said before, you do it in three ways. Well, you can do it in four ways. But One, a 1% stock market turnover tax. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. A 1% financial transaction tax. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Nationalising mining resources or increasing the revenue, legislating to increase the revenue. If they want to hold on to their private little treaties, well... And, you know, constitutionally we can't nationalise it. You can always have a referendum, see what the Australian people think. Or, say, 70% of every dollar that's made, profit, goes to the Treasury to assist the Australian people to get a bit of public housing. And the list goes on and on. You could actually uh, pass legislation which doesn't allow, say, large corporations or corporations or businesses with a turnover of more than $5 million to actually reclaim their goods and services tax as a tax deduction. So there are many things we can do. And instead of relying on competition between the public sector and the private sector, we could actually introduce a new tier into the economy, collectives and cooperatives. I mean, nobody gets rich in a collective and a cooperative, but at least they have long-term, stable, secure employment, unlike the new slavery system, the gig economy. If there's one thing you've noticed if you live in a major city is the number of people on push bikes delivering shit to your door, you know? It's increased exponentially. If there's one group that has done well out of the COVID-19 crisis, it's these platforms, you know, the gig economy. The people who treat their employees as basically as wage Slaves, not even wage slaves, slaves, because you can't even say they earn a wage. I mean, no superannuation, no holiday pay, no sick pay, as we see the consequences of that with COVID-19 when people have got to make a decision when they're a little bit sick, whether they go to work and pay their bills or whether they stay home you know, for a week or two and get nothing. Then obviously a lot of people are forced by economic circumstance. I make no excuse for them but forced by circumstances to work in a situation where maybe they prefer not to be working. No long service leave, no sick pay, and the list goes on and on. It's basically piecework at its very worst, the gig economy. And we have allowed that as a society to become a significant part of our economy. When a a million people are involved in the gig economy, which is about about 7% of the workforce involved in the gig economy, you realise we've got a huge issue and nothing has highlighted this more than uh, the inability of many people who've uh, have got symptoms, maybe they haven't got COVID-19 but have got symptoms of sickness who continue to, to continue to work. So it's an extraordinary situation we find ourselves in where we allow this type of 19th century slavery to continue. Just extraordinary. And and the problem is we don't need this to happen. It shouldn't be happening. 
as I keep saying, resource-rich country, continent, 25 million people, a political system which is dominated by large corporations and even small corporations who ensure that the legislative agenda continues to uh, benefit them. We've got large media outlets that uh, do everything they can to ensure that corporations continue to dominate our legal, continue to dominate our political system, turning Parliament basically into a puppet theatre. Just extraordinary. As I keep saying, it doesn't need to occur. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network from the studios of Community Radio Station 3CR in Melbourne. This is a particularly difficult financial time for a lot of people. It's a difficult financial time for community radio stations across the country. I encourage you to support your local community radio station. If you are listening to this uh, program via the Community Radio Network uh, on your local community radio station, then I encourage you to support them. If you want to support Community Radio 3CR, which is the community radio station I'm gratefully uh, broadcasting from, from the studios here at 3CR, one of the few people able to uh, luxuriate in, the, uh, in, uh, in a beautiful little studio deep in the bunkers. <laughs> you can do it in a number of ways. You can go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. You can, uh, if you've got a credit card, you can ring 039 419 You can write cheques or money orders and send them to Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. Sorry. Oh, that'll come to me. No, don't send them to me. Send them to Post Office Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. Make them out to 3CR. Post Office Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439-395-489. You can write to me. That's right. I do answer letters at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. YouTube channel, um, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Want to join pu- Public Interest Before Corporate Interest? Go to the webpage, Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I. Download the application form. Uh, Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the public. You can go to Defend and Extend Public Housing, Public Housing, Everybody's Business, and the list goes on and on and on. Although the number of practical things we're able to do in the community is drastically reduced, we can still work collectively together in order to create that new world in our heart. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in to The Anarchist World this week via the Community Radio Network next week on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.